Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi, and Mississippi for that matter, such a great place to live, work, and play. Hey, listen, I want to bring your attention to, if you missed it, the show that I had with Robert St. John yesterday, the restaurateur and author and columnist and you know he's a he's a producer he's he's just a guy who hits on a lot of cylinders all owns multiple um restaurants here in Mississippi writes cookbooks but he's just a very inspiring person he's a good friend and one of the parts of the conversation was when he was in Italy and his t- Tuscany is kind of his home away from home spends 3 months in Europe every year now um he he told a story about about Mississippi being the birthplace of American music, and we got into a conversation about that. And uh, I told about the conversation that I had recently with Christian Hartley from from Pascagoula, and this uh, this notion that we all feel about the this extra burden that's on us when we leave Mississippi to put Mississippi's best foot forward and to sort of dispel myths. You know, the re- the reality is that every community, every state has work to do. We have work to do but we have come a long way and this state you know a lot of a lot of in a lot of respects and this is this is being said without a political um you know um uh, yeah, i'm not looking through a political lens when i say this i'm just looking at it as a person who has experienced mississippi for most of my life and um and that's what christian was was uh, sharing as well and that's of course what robert was sharing yesterday that that we have a responsibility when we leave here to show people who we are, you know, what's in our heart and soul, what's what's in the DNA of Mississippians, and it's just dispel myths, frankly, about this place. And uh, it was just a great conversation. So if you miss it, you can go to uh, the Super Talk. Uh, Gulf Coast Facebook page. You can go to the Super Talk Mississippi Facebook page. You can go to your favorite podcast platform. You can go to YouTube. You know, wherever, however, you know, people want to watch the show or listen to the show. And uh, I'm really thrilled, as I said yesterday, 67 straight days of engagement. You know, tens of thousands of people engaged in our show just on just on social media. Not to mention what's happening with uh, those of you listening on 103.1. So I really appreciate it. We've got a great show today. I've got a couple. Quotes I want to share with you. I noticed recently that Chuck Yeager, you know the the big the test pilot who broke the sound barrier, was born in February 1923, and of course he was incredibly successful throughout his life. And one of the one of the things that he said was this: "You you don't concentrate on risks, you concentrate on results." Think about being a test pilot. You don't concentrate on risks; you concentrate on results. And um, you know the, those who take risks, incidentally, they they're often re- often rewarded, even if they have to fake it a little bit in the beginning until they make it. You've heard people talk about that before. My friend uh, Frank Willem, a great entrepreneur here in Coastal Mississippi, said this, or actually posted this, and I don't know who said it, but it's really good. He says a wise man once said, "Be careful who you let in your ship." 
because some people will sink the whole ship just because they don't they can't be the captain. Woo! I've seen that in my career. People sometimes I don't care what how you some people you can't build the tent big enough to bring them in. They're gonna be they wanna be on the outside looking in. And that certainly goes true if you're talking about uh, being in a in a boat with them. Whoo! That that is so true. And then lastly, uh, someone posted this. It's it's uh, by a guy named Max Lucado, and here's what he said: Don't worry about having the right words. Worry about having the right heart. Man, I see that in so many people that I have on this show. That people have such amazing hearts here in coastal Mississippi, and that's what makes this place so special to live, work, and play. Now, with that said, speaking of heart, <laughs> uh, what a great lead-in to my friend Kristen LaBeouf, who's the executive director for the American Heart Association. We've got a lot to talk about, Kristen and me, but before we go any further, let me just say welcome back to Coast View, Kristen. Thank you so much. I, it's always a pleasure to watch your show, listen to the fabulous guests that you have and everything they talk about and the love of, of coastal Mississippi and Mississippi as a whole. And so I'm honored and appreciative for the opportunity to join you again today. Thank you so much. We've had uh, over 800 conversations in three years. It's amazing to me that time has gone by that quick. But, you know, I knew this. You, you knew me at the Sun Hero. We, we, we worked together closely there. And you know, I knew this before I did this show. I especially learned this after Katrina and wrote about it, that this this is an incredibly resilient set of communities that make up coastal Mississippi. The people here have in their DNA something special. They're kind. They're caring. There's always going to be exceptions to the rule. But as a whole... We we are we are you know it's the people that keep this keep bringing people back here, and uh, you know you you have a you have a great history in coastal Mississippi and you've done well with your career, and uh, you're one of those people that I believe has a, a kind heart and you're wanting to make a difference and you know it seems to me it was perfect for you to land at the American Heart Association because you've had a great career there haven't you. Yes, I have. Actually, last month I celebrated 16 years at the American Heart Association um, and believe so much in the work that we do and uh, and the good that we do and the opportunity to continue to do that. Believe so much in the volunteers that we are fortunate to work with, amazing, incredible people who care about our community. And um, that's that's really why I'm here. I was brought here because I, my family has been profoundly impacted by cardiovascular disease and stroke. And I continue to stay here because of the amazing work that we do and with the fantastic people we do it with. Well, you've done well, but as you well know, I'm not surprised because as we were sharing before the show started, I can remember you were newlywed, uh, you're sitting in my office and we're talking about work in the community and I'm looking back now. You you mentioned before the show started that your your oldest is 14 years. Your oldest of three kids is 14 years old, and and we were having conversations before you had your first child. Um, but I remember seeing in you then just incredible fire in your eye to want to succeed, to want to make a difference. You were incredibly articulate. Um, you, uh, you know, everything that I thought you would be, you've done. And, you know, still the sky's the limit. I, I noticed recently you took on even more responsibility. And we'll get into some 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 uh, some conversations about the geography that now that you have the say grace over. But, 
you know, I'm uh, I'm proud of you for for what you've done. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and that's that means a lot. I I can remember coming to your office and and talking about leadership, talking about the community, talking about how to work with people. Gosh, even talking about, I remember being pregnant with my oldest and talking about learning experiences as a parent and parenting. And some of those things I still, I stick with every day, especially now that my children are older and stakes get a little bit, a little bit higher. Uh, and, and so I think about some of those things you talked about, especially listening. You talked about your wife listening. Um, and I, that has always stuck with me listening and the things that they're not saying, picking up on that. So thank you. Well, you know, what's important about that. We reflect on here a lot. I had a, had a, I've had a growing number of conversation with young leaders, emerging leaders, and I, actually the way they refer to themselves is next up, you know, this getting, you know, when you get into your thirties and forties now, it's getting about time that these are the people who are going to step up and to the chairman of the ship of the coast business council and other organizations like that, the American uh, heart association and others, but but I've had a growing number, and one of the things we talk about often, Kristen, is the importance of that mentoring relationship. And uh, one of the things you and I were so, sort of reminding ourselves of is that all you had to do is call Karen, my assistant, and get on my calendar. You didn't even have to let me know you were coming. And I had a number of young people that could do that. Just all they had to do is just get on my calendar, and we would sit and talk about how to how to you know the way of the world and how to make your work in the community stronger. And it made a difference, didn't it? That we had it. Had, it listen, by the way, it made as much of a difference to me as I'm probably as it probably did for you. And that um, I gained a deep appreciation for. And I, you know, to be honest with you, it, it was. Uh, a sense of hope for me that young people like you were coming along that were going to be able to kind of take over, be the next up in this community. But it was, it was important, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. And I think number one, the safe, the safe space to ask the questions. And so often you don't want to be perceived as not knowing, you don't want to maybe show some vulnerability, but you really have to have those trusted colleagues, those trusted role models that you can ask those questions, ask for a deeper understanding, ask for clarity, uh, run solutions off of, and really just continue to, to gain experience. Um, and, and, and ultimately those, those conversations lead to how you become a leader and how you, uh, how you lead people, um, how you lead teams and how you lead also in your family. It, uh, it all connects. You have responsibilities, of course, for coastal, for coastal Mississippi and then South Alabama. And more recently, Northwest Florida was added. When we come back from the break, I want you, I want you to sort of tell me what you have to say, Grace, over. And we will remind people about the American Heart Association. And more recently, with uh, us all watching DeMar Hamlin on that, on that field, it touched us all, and me as a former paramedic, having done CPR many times in my life, it's uh, it's a great focus that we're all having, sort of divine intervention moment for America and the world about the importance of CPR, and we'll talk about that. We'll see you after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. You know, as a young guy, I went to University of Alabama in Birmingham right after, after I got out of high school and went to paramedic school. It was uh, at the time Mississippi didn't have an advanced paramedic system in Mississippi, but Alabama did. And uh, so I learned to become an advanced paramedic. Uh, we were taught to, you know, really intense, like, uh, 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 care of, 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 uh, of, uh, of trauma patients. It could play out in so many different ways. But, of course, you know, we were given defibrillators. We had drugs that could help in a situation where someone was in cardiac arrest and so on. I was, I was extraordinarily well-trained at one of the better paramedic schools in the nation. Came back and worked for a while and then went to, went to pre-med. And uh, along the way, I, I came to the realization, I got a little bit, a little bit older, that, that, that my personality didn't fit being an emergency room physician. That's really what I really wanted to be. But I was type A personality. And I'm a guy who really, if you think about like uh, like spreadsheets and P&Ls and learning the data and all of that, that's kind of the way my mind works. And to be a doctor, you have to take a bit of a leap of faith. And there's a, you, you have to be somewhat removed from your, parent, your patients as it relates to sort of the emotional side of it. And I came to the realization probably going to be hard for me, and uh, so anyway, to to make a long story short, though the thing that you know I, I I decided to start working and going back to school. Unfortunately, really early after I made that decision, I found my own father dead. He was only forty four years old, and uh, unfortunately, there was nothing I could do to help him. He had died in his sleep, but. You know, after having the experience I had as a paramedic, and then having that experience. Um, it has a way of making you grow up and has a way of making you appreciate life. It has, you, has a way of changing everything about you. And so, you know, I went on to get a, a degree in business and an MBA. I did an internship at the Sun-Herald. The rest is history. But my experience as a paramedic, having been in many, many, many situations involving CPR, my, my time since I was a paramedic, many times I've been engaged in CPR. One, one time at Ground Zero after, after, September, after uh, September the 11th in New York City, literally on the grounds, I, I'm, a guy dropped literally dead in front of me and I did CPR on him me and a me and a young man from Verizon and uh, 20 minutes we did CPR on this man and um, you know a month or so later I got a note from him thanking me for life and for every every year after that he was he was from Annapolis Maryland and he sailed all over the all over the world actually and he would sell send me a picture once a year of him behind the wheel of a sailboat with some foreign land it was just Gosh, man, those, that 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 touches you. And um, anyway, I've again, I've had the opportunity to do CPR many times. And as most of you know, who are regular listeners, um, a little over a year ago, my granddaughter stopped breathing, and I had to do mouth to mouth on her. And um, you know, it, that was definitely <laughs> that was definitely an incredibly emotional moment. But I, but but the reality is, the doctors, the paramedics, everyone concludes the same thing. It was a really good thing I was there because had I not done what needed to be done, she would not have lived. It's that clear and that profound. And uh, my family and I and 
we every day we look at Mila, we we thank God. We thank God that we were all around her in that moment and when she needed help. So bystander CPR, we cannot emphasize that enough. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But I just wanted to share that story with you as sort of a lead into the discussion that we're going to have with Kristen LaBeouf as we continue our conversation together. So Kristen, it's having to, to share that experience. And we're going to come back to it in just a second. But I, I saw you shaking your head. But, but you know, the, the elevator speech on learning bystander, bystander CPR in the wake of DeMar Hamlin and how that brought into crystal clear focus globally, global awareness of the need to know CPR. It has been it has really changed your world, hasn't it? It has, you know, before DeMar Hamlin went into cardiac arrest on the football field, which we watched. I mean, I watched it in real time. My son and I, my 12-year-old and I, and you knew immediately this was not normal. This was not just a, a, a concussion, not that that's to be taken lightly either. And so um, it really sharpened the focus on the critical need to learn CPR and for everybody to at least have some knowledge of what to do, when to do it, um, and, and the importance of it, because it's called sudden cardiac arrest for a reason. It's sudden. It doesn't. And, it, and it, the reality no is C, CPR works. It oh works. Yeah. <laughs> the it data is so profound. It's unbelievably uh, important how good it works. We'll come back to all of this in just a second. Let's put let's put the American Heart Association on the map for people who haven't really thought about it in a while. Talk to me about what you guys do and what you're up to these days. Well, we're up to a lot. Uh, and in 2024, the American Heart Association will celebrate our 100th anniversary. And so it's so it's incredible, incredible to believe that we've been around for 100 years and that the work that we are doing is so important and continues to be important. We are focusing on all the things that are barriers to health in South Mississippi. And it's so interesting you talk about how, um, you know, your experience and, and the experience of a lot of the people that you, you talk to on this show and, and the responsibility to put your best foot forward as a Mississippian and to dispel those myths. And I have the, the opportunity to work with people in, across the Southeast. And I think to myself, what we face here is not, not unique to us, right? It is unique in some of the factors, but people all across the Southeast and across the country still face the same issues in terms of health equity that we do in South Mississippi. And uh, the onus is on us to, to make a difference. Well, I said you you now have responsibility for South Mississippi, South Alabama, which I spent a lot of time at as publisher of the Mobile Press Register and president of Alabama Media Group, and then Northwest Florida, you know, the panhandle portion. Um, you've got, you know, it's interesting. You've really grown, and you've got a lot to, there's a lot to say, Grace, over. You're juggling a bunch of balls these days, aren't you? Yeah, I am in, in different areas and different time zones, managing that, you know, <laughs> managing all different uh, volunteers and amazing um, team of staff and donors and volunteers who really care about the work that we do and care about the communities we serve. And I think that that is what gives gives me joy. I mentioned to you uh, before we started the show that I was going to tell you just a really, really quick story. But you know, as the, the higher you get in an organization, the more you have to say grace over. And 
And, you know, this is where delegation and leadership and true management comes to fruition. But what I, what I often said is if someone's in a CEO role like you are, think of it as sort of, look, if you're at your desk and there are ping pong balls on your desk and each ping pong ball has another has another responsibility on it, and then the next one has another responsibility on it, and so on. Your goal is to sort of get far enough away from it that you can see all the ping pong balls. In other words, such that you know if there's a gust of wind or maybe someone passes by, that a ball doesn't fall off. Okay. The reality is that too many people get so close to a few balls that while they're close to those balls, they don't realize that these balls are falling off. So it's the, the goal is to stay sufficiently close but sufficiently far away that you can see, you know, sort of globally all these balls. The goal is to keep the, the balls on top of the table. What, I used to t- tell that story all the time. And one day I was having a conversation with our with my press room manager at the Sun Herald and I left to go to I left to go to um to the lunch. And when I came back, he had gone and bought a case of ping pong balls. <laughs> and when I walked back into my office, he had poured these ping pong ball, you know, these balls into my office. It was so hilarious. But it was you know it was him it was him sort of demonstrating that he really understood yeah. you know what we were talking about. But that's a good idea explanation. You do have a lot of balls you got to juggle at any given time, don't you? You're you're right. And I had not heard that analogy before. And and as you were saying this, I'm thinking, boy, we've got some balls that are close to the edge, you know, or, <laughs> or uh, so, some stuff that maybe I've been really zeroed in on just a few of those and probably need to, to, to zoom out a little bit. But you're right. Being a leader is really getting out of that microscopic thinking, you know, backing up and saying, okay, where can we, ha- where, where do we need to go? Who do we need to go with? And how are we going to get there? And um, and just making sure that you're empowering your team and volunteers all along the way to do that. And I think developing leaders, you know, and and part of that is is listening and just having conversations and uh, leading in the way that you want to be led as well. I always try to do that. I, I love the way you humbly say that. You probably have some balls close to the edge, but the truth is that if everyone is honest who is in a leadership role, there are always balls close to the edge. You know? Absolutely. And and the question ultimately is, can you trust the people that are working with you to make sure that if there is one next to the edge, that they're kind of beating it back a little bit, yeah. and uh, that would enable you to have focus over here, or maybe once you know, maybe gone over the edge, and you can yeah. pick it back up and get it back on top. Of it. But you know, if you think about it in those terms. Um, you know, your, yours is to give, you know, give people the authority, give them the, the, the responsibility and help them through delegation to do the job. But at the end of the day, you kind of kind of have their back too at the same time to help them. So when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Kristen LaBeouf and we will, we will have a pretty detailed discussion about bystander CPR. And there's also nutrition security, which is a big issue for Mississippi. We, we want to talk about that as well. We'll see you after this break. for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Kristen LaBeouf, who is the executive director for the American Heart Association. And we go back a long way. So this is this is not a surface conversation about, you know, dot, 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 the American Heart Association. This is a serious conversation between two people who admire one another and have worked together in the community for a lot of years. And um, and it is really, really, you know, it has led to uh, some inc- important conversations, and more specifically as it relates to bystander CPR that we're going to have now. But we mentioned uh, Demar Hamlin. When I watch him, when I watch him at the Super Bowl and the way he sort of dealt with the situation, the interviews that he's had. My sense, at least at this moment, is that. He seems to be humble. He seems to be the right person for this job. I, I don't think I'm misreading that. Of course, time will tell. You know, is he up to the challenge of what the world sees in him today? You know, this this messenger about the importance of CPR. Um, but you know, you guys, you guys have have really latched on to the moment as a as a as a learning opportunity. And I'm actually curious to know. What has been the level of activity that has sort of rolled out of that moment? Well, it is certainly accelerated and amplified bystander CPR and the importance of learning CPR. I think it's also afforded us to have conversations that we might might not have had with people that we might not have spoken to before. You know, Damar currently is partnering with the American Heart Association to on a, a three for heart challenge where he's challenging the entire country, the entire world to learn bystander CPR um, and challenge three others to do so. And I look at I look at him and, and you mentioned the the Super Bowl and that moment where he was he was recognized or the first responders were recognized. Talk about a powerful moment to recognize them and then here he comes and it gives me goosebumps to even think you know, he is here because they responded because those those staff immediately recognized and immediately went into action. And it's incredible to think about that. Also, I, I watched some of the interviews. There was one in particular with Michael Strahan, where Michael Strahan was asking him, what do you remember? How do you feel about that? And and to recall, this is still a young man who is processing at the same time. What happened to him? He died on that field. I mean, he, you know, and 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 it was watched by billions and millions across the world. And, and then it became the story itself. And his and we also closely followed his recovery and, and were concerned about him. And, and we saw it play out in real life. And here's a young man who's processing that. And it's still so fresh for him. And so we've got to, I think you're right. I think he is the right person to share this message and to raise this awareness. But we also have to recognize he's a young man who's going through something that's unfathomable and processing that and recovering. And what does it mean for his career? What does it mean for his future? I mean, all of that. Yeah, it was interesting to see his answer that and it, more than once he said, I, I'm not ready to talk about that yet. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what he means by that. Did he have a light in the tunnel experience that yes. he's trying to figure out what that looks like. Um, so, so many, even the guy that I did, that I had the opportunity to do CPR on in New York, he talks he talks in, in this sort of afterlife phrase. He said, the way he wrote about it, I have to go back and grab what he wrote about it, but he said something like this. He says, um, 
I, I could see you guys doing CPR on me. And he said, I wasn't, so how did he say it? He says, I, it wasn't um, concerning. It was, um, it was calm is the way he talked about it. And, and it goes on from there. But, you know, it's, it's DeMar trying to understand what all that meant. You know, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I wish he, maybe, you know, also he may be, he may not have a good clear memory of all of that. You know what I mean? So he doesn't, he's still trying to put it all together. And it's still also not entirely clear what the, you know, ongoing medical ramifications might be for him. You know, that's still a bit unclear, but the fact that he's sitting there having a, a conversation and able to really appreciate the fact that he's in a position now that can make a difference, that in, in and of itself is so powerful. It is. Well, and so, uh, immediate CPR works. L look at look at DeMar Hamlin. Two weeks later, we had another high-profile person go into cardiac arrest, didn't receive immediate by, by, didn't receive immediate CPR, ultimately passed away. We've had stories. I feel like as soon as it happened to DeMar, just stories were popping up. And, it, and, and it's like these things happened before DeMar Hamlin went into cardiac arrest on a football field, but it's and, and they they happen, you know, over 350,000 people will go into cardiac arrest out, outside of a hospital setting annually in the United States. Um, and so this is not new. It's just it's become a little bit higher profile and the time to act and the opportunity to share with people that they can be of assistance is now. Um, and so I think that's important for people to know. We were working on advocating for uh, all things CPR. I mean, the American Heart Association is at the forefront of CPR, the science that develops CPR. And we're the ones who update the guidelines every few years on, on CPR and in constant search of improving the process and improving the chain of survival. Um, and it starts, it starts with the people like you and I who, and, and you mentioned that, you know, about your granddaughter and thank God you were there. 70% of out of hospital cardiac arrests happen in the home setting. So if you are statistically speaking, going to perform bystander CPR on someone, it's going to be someone that you know, and you love. And I think that's what touches me the most. I can't imagine being in a position to not act or to feel helpless. And so that's what, that's part of what drives me in this work around bystander CPR is I want to make sure everybody knows what to do and can act. And so they're not helpless. Um, that's important. Kristen, and time, time is so important. And that's why people, if someone were to go into cardiac arrest, you gotta, you gotta act quickly. You know, each minute that goes by, is is bringing the situation closer and closer to a dire outcome. Maybe the person lives, but there's brain damage. There's all kinds of other issues that come with that. I recall once um, at the Sun-Herald, I was in my office one day, and I got a call that uh, an office supply guy had just uh, – had. Well, what had happened is he, he fainted. That's the way they described it. He fainted in the newsroom, and uh, literally right outside of Stan Tyner's office. And – um, so he, he fainted in the newsroom, and so they called 911. They didn't call me uh, at the time, but they called 911. Well, he wasn't initially in cardiac arrest, but he was quickly heading in that direction. 
And when they saw that he was really seemed to be in trouble because he was breathing up to this point, they called me and said, Ricky, can you come into the newsroom real quickly? Well, I arrived in the newsroom literally at the moment the paramedics arrived at the newsroom. And it was clear that he was at that moment going into cardiac arrest. And so um, one of the paramedics and I, I did chest compressions. He got an airway open and we did CPR and, you know, started the process. He was in V-fib. They shocked him and um, they got a heartbeat and then they brought him to the hospital. And um, anyway, about a month later, I got it. There was somebody knocks on my door and it was him and his wife. And he just came by to thank me. And no, no, no issues at all from from that, and 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 you you'll hear story after story after story just like that when someone starts CPR quickly. But yeah. man, I can't overstate that enough, can I? No, you can't. And if you see someone who is not breathing, you call 911 and immediately start chest compressions. That's bystander CPR. You don't need to focus on the chest, breath, you know, the mouth to mouth piece. Chest compressions in that situation are just as effective and can keep things moving until help can arrive. You know, you you call 911 because of the work of the American Heart Association. We recently were able to work to get policy in Mississippi that if you call 911, no matter where you are across the state, if you're on the coast, if you're in Jackson, if you're in the Delta, if you're, you know, in Tupelo, no matter what, if you're in any rural part of the, no, any part of the, the state, you are going to receive high quality verbal instruction on how to perform bystander CPR in until help can arrive. So, so it's important to know what to do, but just as important it is to call 911 to make sure that number one, you're calling for help, and number two, they are equipped to provide high quality verbal instruction on how to perform bystander CPR. One of the, um, one of the, I described this to you before, I think, but when Mila had her situation, and we're getting to the end of the segment, so we'll pick this up on the other side, but one of the things that is, is adds so much stress to a paramedic's life when they have to go to the scene is when they get to the scene where there is cardiac arrest, where someone has not started CPR and what it does to them, what it, what, how they feel about it. And we'll talk about that in just a second uh, after this break as we continue our conversation with Kristen LaBeouf from the American Heart Association. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm so pleased to have my friend Kristen LaBeouf from the American Heart Association as we talk about the importance of bystander CPR. So, Kristen, when we went to break, here's one. Here's something that I wanted to share with you. As, as first of all, as a former paramedic, I've been put in this situation many times, young at, at an early age, when I really wasn't emotionally able to deal with it. To be quite honest with you, to be at the scene where someone is in cardiac arrest when no one has started CPR prior to us getting there. 
you know, every now and then it's a good outcome, but usually it was not a good outcome for one, you know, maybe you get the heart back, but you know, the, there's been some brain damage. But when, when I was doing, when, in my situation with Mila, uh, by the time the paramedics got there, um, Mila was, uh, was, was breathing. It wasn't, wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but she was breathing. And uh, Ann was on the phone with the 911 operator the whole time. So, that, you know, once the 911 operator knew that someone who knew what they were doing was there, she just monitored the situation and Ann stayed in touch with her so she could communicate with the paramedics. So they came into the, they came, actually came into the house realizing two different, two different uh, stations. They came into the house knowing that a two-year-old wasn't breathing. And but they were hearing from the 911 operator that someone was on the scene knowing what was happening. And when the paramedics walked in, their their faces were literally white. And and you could see their them overcome with with a feeling of, oh, my gosh, he's breathing and, you know, and so on. So. About a month later, I, Mila and her mother and I went went to the stations, both stations to let them see Mila. And while we were meeting with them, they told us that in most cases where there's a baby or a young child in the same situation, the outcome is too often not good. And so, you know, the thought that they were going to have to go into a situation and deal with a child that's not breathing, that you never get used to that. You never get used to that. But the fact that they got there and saw that she was starting to breathe and that I had been there. Her mother's an RN, incidentally. But, um, but anyway, that what it meant to them that, that by the time they got there, she was breathing. You know, sometimes we forget about that angle, <laughs> how it affects the first responders in so many incredible ways. But to know when, when someone is doing CPR, when they get there. Gosh, does it make a big difference? And you hear that over and over and over and over again, don't you? We do. And we are very fortunate to work with first responders all across the Gulf Coast to help us increase bystander CPR training um, just across the coast. We we work with Biloxi Fire Department, Gulfport Fire Department, Bay St. Louis Fire Department, AMR, you know, all across the coast um, and, and agencies that I'm, I'm not mentioning. And it's oftentimes... They are coming to people in in the in the worst moment of the of their life, right? And so you're right. They are coming in and, and trying to imagine what's going on, and it is a sense of relief that someone is doing something, and then they can take over from there. But we've heard from them the positive outcomes and the negative outcomes. And, you know, in the matter of 24 hours, I've been called and said, hey, let me tell you about this great story that just happened um, at a workplace. Someone went into cardiac arrest. An employee just jumped right in and took action until we could get there. The person survived. 24 hours yeah. later, we just we just came off of a call where the person was in cardiac arrest and it was a refuse to respond or refuse to perform, you know, and no one jumped in to action and ultimately the outcome was not positive. And so it makes a difference. But for us, what we want to do is we want to make sure that every household in South Mississippi has one person who knows what to do in the event of an emergency. Number one, you're calling 911. And number two, you're going into action with chest compressions. 
Let's do this. We're not. I, I want to. What we'll do? We'll come back in a week or two, and we'll we'll spend a couple of segments talking about nutrition security because we can't spend enough quality time on it today. But if someone wants to, you know, is listening to this show and has been compelled by this conversation, I hope they have been. Um, tell them how they can learn more. Heart org. Go to our website, heart.org. Um, and there are a bevy of tools and resources from videos to infographics that underscore the importance, the difference between cardiac arrest and a heart attack. You know, those two, those two terms people use interchangeably, but there are two different things and two different courses of action. And so um, I think you go to our website, www.heart.org, and you can find all kind of information there. You can also follow the American Heart Association on social media. This month, being Heart Month, we are really focused on advancing awareness and education around bystander CPR. It really can be that easy. You know, I like I like the notion of liking your page, liking the American Heart Association page and getting sort of a, a steady dose of this, because if you don't use it, you will lose it. It should stay top of mind. It's not something you should ponder, but you should just always know that there are some basic steps you can go through that could literally save someone's life. And all you have to do is make the decision that you're going to take action. And you know, when you're in that situation, that's what's critical. And the more trained you are, the more automated you will be when it comes into that moment beyond sort of the emotional connection with whoever it is you're having to do CPR on. But you'll be thankful that you did that. Listen, Kristen, it's been a pleasure to spend time with you. I'm very proud of you. Keep up the good work. And we'll have you back in a couple of weeks and we'll talk about nutrition security. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity and, and uh, thank you for the chance to learn from you over all these years. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a genuine pleasure. Have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.